to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There's no place in the Bible where you have instruction for the person who wants to do it on their own. You know, like, okay, if you're a Christian that doesn't want to associate with any others, this is how you grow in your faith. You can't find that in the Bible anywhere. In the Bible, there's constant references to, we're part of the church. The church is the the collective people of God. We're part of a family. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, in a message titled, Watching and Ready. Now, here's Pastor Brian. This year, I've been going through a a little devotional Uh, written by Tim and Kathy Keller called The Songs of Jesus. And it's just a, it's a daily journey through the Psalms. So you go through the entire book of Psalms in one year. And you know, that morning, just a little paragraph there from Psalm 42, I read this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in the Lord. And you know, just that right there set me free from that that dark cloud that was kind of there lingering, you know, because I suddenly, I stopped and I thought, yeah, why am I cast down? What, what is this? And as I thought about it, I, I started thinking about, you know, what was maybe at the root of it, that I was carrying around these burdens that I really didn't have any ability to do much about and all of that. And then suddenly that reminder, hope in the Lord, trust in the Lord. And I thought, of course, this is God's problem. It's not my problem. I'm going to trust in him. And you know, I walked away from that time in the morning with that dark cloud lifted, that burden taken away. And that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes it just comes that simply. But it's through our commitment to God's word that we maintain this kind of sharpness, this alertness. You know, I can't think of the number of times where in just my, again, going through the word, God has challenged me. He's corrected me. He's rebuked me. He's convicted me. He's shown me things that I needed to see that would help me to get back to that place of spiritual sharpness where maybe I was growing a bit dull. So it starts right there with God's word, reading it, meditating on it. But then prayer is really kind of, you know, combined with that. And it is sad to say, but I think it's more true than we want to realize that for many people, prayer is just something they occasionally do in desperate times. You know, it's, it's in that moment of crisis when you've tried everything else and nothing else has worked. It's like, okay, now I better start praying. But that's not the way we as Christians are to live. Prayer Think about it. I mean, this is the most amazing thing in the world. We get to talk to God. We get to talk to the one who created everything. We get to talk to the one who made us. We get to talk to the one who's sovereignly in control over all of the affairs of men. We get to go to the person who has all wisdom, understanding, might, and we get to tell him our problems. We get to ask for his guidance. We get to seek out his assistance. 
And listen, God's real. He's living and he answers. He works. But do we pray? Do we have a consistent time of prayer? And as I said a moment ago, these things kind of go hand in hand. I find for myself that oftentimes it's in my, my time of devotion that I'm sparked to pray. Or it's during my times of prayer that I'm reminded of a passage of scripture or something that happened in the Bible that brings to me what sometimes what I'm even seeking in prayer. So you see the things go hand in hand and it's the development and the consistent practice of these things that are going to make for us to remain alert spiritually as Jesus called us to be. But then I want to throw in there also the importance and the role that good Christian literature can play in all of this. You know, sometimes it's because somebody meditated on God's word or lived through an experience or had an encounter with God and, and wrote it down, put it in uh, written form in, in some context or another. And we read that and it's through that person that their experience, it, it resonates with us. You know, there's, there are certain writers that I read them and when I read what they say or like their take or their perspective on it, it just resonates with me. It's like, yes, I, yeah, I, I get that. I feel that. And that's what we get when we take advantage of the great literature that God has made available to us. Did you know that in the English language, there is more Christian literature in English than in any other language in the world? So we have this unbelievable treasure of information that has, you know, been passed to us from generation to generation. You know, there, there are times when beside the Bible, I will be reading through and meditating on books that were written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Part of my, my daily reading beside that book I mentioned a moment ago is, is a book that was penned 500 years ago. And the crazy thing is every morning when I read it, I think, this is as relevant today as it was. I mean, it was obviously relevant when it was written 500 years ago. It's still relevant because, you know, nothing really changes. People are still the same. And the problems that we face are still the same. And the sins that we struggle with are still the same. And the temptations that we battle with are still the same. So, you see, these things can be a tremendous help. Sometimes it's, it's through an experience. I remember years ago battling chronic illness and, and depression that was connected to that. And, you know, I, I felt so alone. I felt so isolated. I, I didn't really know anybody that had been through any of the things that I was going through, I felt like there was no one that I could talk to about it. And I happened to have in my library the biography, the autobiography, actually, of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a great uh, Victorian age preacher in London, and uh, I've quoted him many times, and many pastors do. But I remember picking up his book, his autobiography, and reading about his battle with depression. And I remember at the time thinking this was written for me for today, but it was actually written in like 18, you know, 65. But, but it so resonated with me. It spoke to me and it ministered to me like nothing else did. 
No one else had that kind of insight. No one else that I had come across had that kind of understanding, experience, or wisdom. And here I'm reading this book written in 1865, and I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is life. This is, this is healing balm you know, to my soul. So that's why we encourage the reading of good Christian literature. And these will help. They will help you. A few more things. Fellowship. Wow, this is such an important one. Fellowship. You know, you need other Christians. Did you know you cannot go it alone as a Christian? We live in an extremely individualistic culture. I mean, you know, Americans are known for being fiercely independent, fiercely individualistic. Our culture has created this, and uh, to a large degree, that, that culture has crept in and, and in some ways kind of overtaken the church. We function the same way in the church so often. We function like, you know, I'm fine. I don't need anybody. I can do it myself. You can't do it yourself. There's no place in the Bible where you have instruction for the person who wants to do it on their own. You know, like, okay, if you're a Christian that doesn't want to associate with any others, this is how you grow in your faith. You can't find that in the Bible anywhere. In the Bible, there's constant references to, you know, we're, we're part of the church. The church is the, the collective people of God. We're part of a family. We're part of a, a community. And we need each other. Now, we live in a completely dysfunctional society. You know, at one time in our history, the, the family was very significant in the culture and people understood the whole thing of personal relationships better than they probably do today. But listen, we have got to be in fellowship with one another. We have got to connect with one another. We've got to be in relationships where we make ourselves available, where we make ourselves somewhat vulnerable, where we, you know, talk to people about what God's doing in our lives. You know, when, when you talk to me about what God's doing in your life, you know what it does? It blesses me. You know, I get, I get blessed so often when I meet with people to have counseling appointments or whatever. Uh, honestly, I walk away blessed because I think, wow, it's amazing what God's doing in that person's life. And hopefully you get blessed when I share with you, but that's the way it works. But if we don't connect with each other, if we never talk to each other, if we never spend more than three minutes saying, hey, how you doing? Good, I'm fine. Yeah, you, all right, good, great. Okay, see you later. You know, if that's the extent of our fellowship, well, that's not really fellowship. We need fellowship. We need to be in relationship with one another. We need to be part of a community where we engage with people. And listen, nobody can force you to do this. You have to take it upon yourself to do it. Now, obviously, there are different people who feel differently about this kind of stuff. You know, some people are all for being with other people. They love it. They thrive on it. Other people are more withdrawn and they're, you know, they're more inclined to kind of keep to themselves. I was watching this funny uh, thing on YouTube the other day you know, things that British people do. And, uh, you know, the British are sort of notorious for like not wanting to talk to each other <laughs> or, you know, not wanting to really engage in any kind of in-depth conversation or anything like that. And, you know, having lived in Britain, I, I watch this, I think that is so funny. It's so true. 
And they're, they're, all of these British people are being interviewed about how awkward it is to be introduced to somebody like, and you know, when you have to shake hands, you're not sure, should I shake their hand or should, should I hug them? Or, you know, they're going through all these funny scenarios. And, and as I thought, of, thought about that, I thought, you know, it's not a British problem exclusively. You know, many of us have those kinds of problems where we, we just are more comfortable if we just keep to ourselves. But you know, it's not about being comfortable, it's about growing. It's about the need to encourage one another, to speak into each other's lives, to pray for each other. And so this is a challenge. This is something, again, we're looking at the things that we have to do to keep ourselves alert. We have to be in fellowship. We all need it. Ladies seem to know this more naturally than men do. But you know, it's true for all of us. Two more things real quickly. Serving the Lord. God has called every one of us to serve him in some way or another. And we have to seek out what that is from the Lord himself. And we do that by just really, you know, making ourselves available, just recognizing. Now, hopefully in all of our different walks of life, our jobs, our families, whatever, you know, hopefully we're thinking in terms of serving God there, and we should. But, you know, serving God in the context of the church, the body of Christ, how can I be a blessing to the larger body of Christ? What can I do? But seeking to get engaged. Again, not, not staying away, not isolating, but getting involved in service. Whenever you get involved in serving the Lord, you're going to inevitably get involved with other people. You're going to be doing that side by side with them. But you know, as you're serving God, all of these things kind of come together because as you're serving God, you, of course, you've got to be getting equipped to do that. So you need to be in the word. You need to be in prayer. As you're serving God, like I said, you're serving along other side, uh, alongside of other people. So you're, you're getting that fellowship aspect. But again, we need to put ourselves in a place of availability. And listen, just make yourself available. And I guarantee that God will direct you in what he wants you to do. And Listen, it, it can be something very, very simple. You just start out with the, with the small things. You know, just get involved somewhere. And, you know, whatever you can do. Serving, again, it starts sometimes on just the most basic level. And then God brings you along. And some people think God, have, you know, for 30 years, they've been setting up chairs and taking them down. And that's been the thing that they've done for the Lord. And it's been a blessing. It's been a benefit to many people. One last thing. We're talking about the things to keep ourselves alert, right? Bible reading, meditation, prayer, good literature, input from that, fellowship, service. Last thing, sharing our faith. You know, sharing our faith is at one and the same time, it's sometimes the most intimidating and the most exhilarating thing you can do. Isn't it funny how intimidating it can be to share your faith? It's like, here's an opportunity in front of you, and all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, what do I say? Oh man, you just go into a panic, like, oh, oh no, I, I forgot everything all of a sudden. But, you know, when you break through that, and you just open your mouth, and you start talking, and, you know, you finally get it out, and you walk away, and you think, wow, that was amazing, that was so exciting, that was so thrilling, oh God, thank you for using me like that. 
See, these are the ways that we keep ourselves alert. These are the ways that we keep ourselves sharp. And so all of these kinds of things, as I said earlier, consistent engagement in these things will cause us to be watchful, awake, and alert. One last thing on that sharing your faith thing. You know, we pray for a great work of God's spirit. We pray that people will get saved. We know that the answer to life's questions and problems is Jesus. We know that the answer to the insanity in the culture is is more people coming to Jesus and getting their lives sorted out. We know all of that. But remember that the way that that usually happens is because somebody, some individual person talked to somebody else about the Lord. We have great events. We have crusades. We have all kinds of outreach events. And all of those things are wonderful. But everybody who engages in those know that unless the individual person is talking to other people and stirring their interest or inviting them, nothing's going to happen. And so we just need to keep in mind, if we're praying that people are going to get saved, we're also going to have to open our mouths and talk to people. And even if it might seem feeble to you, even if it might seem like, man, I didn't really do anything, uh, you're planting a seed and God's able to take it. If you could survey the people that have come to Christ and maybe ask them, you know, what was your first contact with the gospel? They might tell you, you know, that some, some person I bumped into just kind of, you know, they just sort of rambled out the gospel a little bit and didn't do anything at the moment, but it planted a seed in my life. So we need to take advantage and seek out those opportunities. There are people all around us that need to hear the gospel and that are open, but we've got to take the step. So real quickly, one other thing, and then we're going to wrap it up. Jesus says, blessed is the one who is watchful and keeps their garments lest they walk naked and their shame is seen. What does that mean real quickly? Garments are symbolic of the righteousness of Christ that we are clothed in. And we see that all over the place. But here in the book of Revelation, specifically to the church of Sardis earlier, Jesus said, he who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments. To the church of Laodicea, he said, buy from me white garments that you may be clothed. Concerning the lamb's wife, we read later here in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 9, to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So notice the connection here. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment. So all of this watching, all of this alertness, all of this is about keeping our garments pure. What is he talking about? Well, this is what he's not saying. By watching and keeping ourselves alert, we don't save ourselves or keep ourselves saved. God's the one who saves us, and God's the one who keeps us saved. But what we do is we prove our salvation to be genuine by manifesting God's graces through our lives. You see, Jesus is basically saying, unless you're being watchful, people aren't going to see that righteousness that I provide. They're not going to see that through your life. Instead, if you're slack, the nakedness is going to break through. 
And he's talking about the, the need. You know, salvation is God's work. He does it. He saves us. But he calls us to engage ourselves and, and be committed to growth and to progress and to maturity in our faith. The Apostle Peter put it like this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So faith is where it starts. That's our garment. We're, we're clothed with a garment through faith. But now he says, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. All of these things, he says, this is the way. Basically, Peter's telling us the same thing that we've been talking about. This is the way to keep yourself sharp. This is the way to keep yourself alert. This is the way to keep yourself awake. Add to your faith. Be diligent to add to your faith. And in doing so, you're going to make your call and election sure. You're going to have confidence of your own salvation, and people are going to, it's going to be obvious to them as well. So, as we close, the pressure from the world around us to conform is great. I think there's more pressure to conform to the world today than there's probably ever been, in, at least in recent history. Man, the world is coming in powerfully, not just subtly suggesting that we go along with the flow. The world is coming in and insisting. There is an insistence now. You think this way. You act this way. You agree with this. You embrace that. That's, that's the world we're living in. The pressure is intensifying. The temptation to sin is everywhere. You know, you can hardly escape it today. It used to be that in your home, you had somewhat of a refuge. But of course, we've opened up ourselves in so many ways through technology and so forth to where we're not even safe in our homes. We're not safe anywhere from temptation. Internally, we have our own sinful cravings that war against us. So we've got problems. We've got pressure from without. We've got temptation from within distractions abound, and quite often our flesh is inclined toward laziness and apathy. And listen, this is all designed to dull us spiritually, to take away our edge, and to cause us to fall asleep at the wheel of life, so to speak. It's all intentional. It's all intentional because our adversary, the devil, the one that we've considered over the past few weeks who's orchestrating the affairs of the earth in so many ways and who is responsible in many ways for this great catastrophic season that's coming upon the planet, you know, he is wanting to dole us spiritually. He's wanting to take the edge off. He's wanting to put us to sleep. He doesn't want us in the place that Jesus exhorted us to be. And so... We have to resist that. We have to resist that. We are not to let that happen to us. And how are we going to avoid it? By everything we've talked about today, by watching and being ready. And this is how to do it. Remember, Jesus said, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed are the ones who are watching. Let's be the ones who are watching. 
For the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity by Nick Cady. How can we believe in a God who allows good people to die and let bad people live? How can we believe in a God who allows children to be abused without any earthly consequences? And if God is so good and loving, then why do bad things happen? Questions just like these are just some of the barriers that keep people from embracing Christianity. Maybe one of these questions is exactly what keeps you from embracing Christianity. Well, in his book, The God I Won't Believe In, Nick Cady addresses these and other topics that are hindering many today. If you want to challenge some of the most common barriers to Christianity in today's culture or face the barriers on your own, this book will help you understand what the Bible says about these and other topics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The God I Won't Believe In by Nick Cady. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.